This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Someone can care so much about their job, but they're never going to care about it like I care about it. And that is okay. It does not mean they don't want to be here, that they're not doing the best job they can do. It is so far from that, but I have a different relationship with my business. So, you know, for me to be able to take a step back and really hear tough feedback from me was really incredible because it enabled me to, A, have a little bit of distance between the emotional reaction and make a better choice for the business in how I was handling it and being better moving forward as well. For a business to scale, the founder has to transition from doer to leader. How to make that transition without losing your identity and staying true to the ethos of your business is something that keeps a lot of us up at night. For Sarah Larson-Levy, founder of Y7 Studio, a growing multiple city chain of 13 boutique yoga studios that's not only received a $5 million investment, but has been recognized as one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing private companies in 2018. That transition from doer to leader has been about working with a coach, changing her communication style, and having the humility to learn a new set of skills. She also stayed true to her vision of what kind of yoga studio she wanted to build. Coming up, you'll hear how Sarah went from working two jobs to taking a risk on building a business in a crowded space. How she uses her superpower of being able to get back on track when things go wrong. And why quitting her job to go all in on her business wasn't as scary as she anticipated. You'll hear Sarah share why learning to trust herself more, letting go, and leading by delegation have all been keys to her success. Plus, why a positive mindset and a good Harvard Business Review make all the difference. This is Million Dollar Mind, remarkable stories of transformation and how to shift your mindset to accelerate success with entrepreneur, author, and mindset expert, Julia Pimsler. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun going to Y7 Yoga this weekend. I went to the one on 23rd Street and everyone like greeted me so warmly and the instructor came over and gave me like a a lot of TLC, which left me feeling like, wait, do I look too old to be here? Does she think I need a lot of TLC? But then I was like, no, I think that they're just really warm and friendly here. Yeah. No, (laughs) it's definitely not you. It's more so we want everybody to feel like they are getting the attention they deserve in class um it was really cool because she like spent like five minutes with me at my yoga mat yeah it's great and that's why we keep the studios a little bit smaller as well so our capacity is never higher than 32 and we do that so the teacher can get to everybody and give them adjustments if they want them oh awesome and I also you know loved like the hot vibe I actually don't do hot yoga if I did not know in advance it was going to be hot. So, <laughs> Oh, that's my apologies. It, that's is okay. in, it is an infrared heat, though, so it's a little bit different. So you're not going to feel as humid and sort of sticky. It's more of a dry heat, which is right. I didn't like want to like Arizona vibe. Exactly. exactly. You know, it felt like I was just getting like an extra good workout. I felt amazing after. And I loved the candlelight and just the way everyone felt like felt, yeah, kind of like community vibe-ish, which I know is something you're going for. Yes. So um, talk to me about this whole boutique yoga thing. Like, has that been a term for a long time? Or where did that come from? You know, it's really, it's interesting because it is sort of a new market, I would say, in the landscape of where we are in fitness and retail, too. Um, I think probably like 10 years ago, there wasn't that much around. It was your big box gyms. It was Blink, New York Sports Club, Equinox. And that was really... That's what I grew up with. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, Lifetime Fitness. Like that was what I grew up going to with the indoor pool and all this stuff. And that was really it. So the boutique fitness market has really, really grown, especially in the last like five, six years. It's become super, super common. There's something on every corner, especially in New York. So... It's definitely a new landscape. Do you think it's partly because people are so busy and so if they're going to go work out, they also wanted to check the box of like, I bonded with some people. I was in a cool place. People were nice to me. Like, what what is it? What's going on there? 
I think it has a lot to do with how everyone is leaning towards spending money on experiences. Mm. We're sort of finding that not a ton of, you know, millennials are really spending money on physical items, more so going places, seeing shows, traveling, trying a ton of workouts. And especially with the emergence of ClassPass, I think that's made it really, really accessible to get to all these little studios and to know about them too. Um, ClassPass was a huge asset for us when we were first launching because it is location-based. So you can be like, oh, I'm here. I have, you know, a couple hours to kill before dinner. What's around? Right. Why not and take that's, this right, class? And that's been really amazing. I love it. Well, so back up a little bit to sure. when you were working in fashion yes. and you <laughs> had the idea for this yoga studio. What yeah. I love is that a lot of women go into wellness or fitness or, you know, build out some kind of a business around their passion, Mm -hmm. but very few of them think, well, I'm going to take it national, right? So talk to me a little bit about that thought process. How'd that happen? So my journey with yoga actually started um, because of an injury. Mm. So I pinched my sciatic nerve back in 2012. Ouch. What does that even mean? I honestly, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not really (laughs) quite sure. It's the nerve right above your tailbone, right on your tailbone, base of your tailbone. So it was really hard for me to walk and all of this stuff and, you know, it has to do with, there's a lot of components to it. I'm flat-footed. I have scoliosis a little bit. So there's a lot of things. But, you know, to get me back to being healthy into a place where I could work out, um, yoga and Pilates was really the only thing that I could do. Um, and where were you at the time, geographically? I was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Okay, cool. So I was still in New York. Um, but, you know, that led me to trying all these different studios across the city. And they were fine. But I never felt that I found a place where I was like, ah, like the I feel home here. I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable, you know, with the language being used in the class in terms of like a lot of classes I went to. There was so much yoga philosophy and so much exclusive language. Really long Indian terms. Yeah, that I was like. (laughs) Uh, I guess I haven't studied enough. Like, I didn't feel smart enough. Or like, right. You know that moment where enough. they're like, do Anyu Vasuna? And you're like, wait, wait which one you're is like, that? Is that the tree like, one? Is that me? the squatting one? Yeah. <laughs> and it was really, you know, it. I was at the beginning of my yoga journey. So that was really frustrating for me, I think, because I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere or yes. that I was welcomed. I always felt like I wasn't quite enough yogi I for totally all of these places. Yes. Um, so... That led me and my now husband to kind of have a conversation around like what what it is that we both wanted to practice like. Was he going with you to all yeah. these yoga classes? Yeah. Oh, so cool. You yeah. sound like one of the few guys who's into yoga. I love it. He actually liked it a lot more than I did. So I was like, <laughs> go figure. I was like, all right, you have fun. <laughs> See you later. Um, but yeah, so that's where really the idea of Y7 was born. So it is a heated dark candlelit room there are no mirrors and we practice a vinyasa flow so what that means is we practice one breath one movement so you're really constantly moving you're getting your heart rate up yeah it was a good workout yeah and i think you know those are the things i wanted i wanted you know that hour to myself where i could really tune out the rest of the world but i also wanted to sweat i wanted to do something where i felt my body was really getting stronger and i was progressing in my practice as well so it's Another reason why we have open level classes. Mm -hmm. So there is no beginner. Um, And the flow on your own portion of class is really designed so that wherever you are in your practice or your yoga journey, you can either add in binds, add in an inversion, or maybe take a child's pose. Yeah, it felt very easy to to, make it my own class. Exactly. There's no judgment. It is where you are that day is where you need to be. And that's kind of it. Well, I love that you said no judgment, because I think that when we're starting our own businesses, we sometimes have a lot of judgment of ourselves about what we can and can't do. I know that when I started my company, Little Pim, the language teaching company I had, I was a creative person before that. I was a documentary filmmaker. I'd never run a business. And I had this judgment and this like limiting belief that I couldn't run a multi-million dollar company because I was a creative person. And that held me back for a long time till I was able to kind of get over that. Was there anything you thought in the beginning that like held you back? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't go to school for this. There was no business plan for the business. There was nothing. This was purely just a really big passion side project. 
And it's one of the reasons I kept my job for so long. So I actually worked full time for the first two years of the business. Oh, wow. And up to the opening of our third location. Amazing. And it was a lot of that fear that really held me back that was like, well, I don't know anything about running a business. Like I'm I was an account executive in fashion. So I I sold clothes, really. Um, And that was a, a really big fear of mine. It was the fear of am I smart enough to be able to, you know, make these budgets, pay my instructors, have and have something that's sustainable. That was a big thing for me is having a sustainable business. Um, you so know, let's get this straight. You didn't go to business school. No. Don't have a finance degree. I do not. No. There's no hidden no. HBS diploma in the no, corner. There is nothing. Yes. I, I didn't have any of that either. So yeah. I can totally relate. Yeah. But so I'm then curious, how did you get to the place where you were like, well, I'm going for it anyway? Yeah, so after the third studio, it kind of became really apparent that what was happening was is the customer service was going downhill a little bit um, because I was obviously doing something else full time and couldn't really be there to train, monitor, and really oversee what was happening on the studio level. Was your husband with, on site or who was there? He was still working too. Oh, good. He wow, also had a full time job. Yeah, we amazing. both kept yes. him. Um, And so it was really when I started to realize that the experience was not what I would have wanted as a client was where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this full time. My husband kept his job. I quit mine first um, because he made more money than me. Um, And so that was really the easiest thing to do. And as, you know, six months went by. Easy. I'm going to put quotes around the easy. That was the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, for us, it was like we can't both quit. Right. Because – it was it is a fear thing of, of like course. what if where's the money going to come from like what if we don't do as well as we think we're going to do what if this boutique market isn't going to last like what happens with that so and do you remember that day when you quit you do tell me about that day it was you know i was getting sick a lot too cuz i was waking up at like 5 a.m., going to open a studio, working all day, leaving at 6, going to a studio, checking everyone in, and closing the studio. But you pretty I much had two full-time jobs. I had two full-time yeah. jobs. I was up at like 5, 5.30, depending on the studio I had to open, and then wasn't home until like 10.30, and I was just dead tired. And how I old were you at the best. time, if I can ask? I was, oh gosh, how old was I? I would have been 28. 28, okay. 28, yeah. But this is like a lot to take on, you know, yeah. as a young and person. I where, think, yeah. you know, I had – I sat with myself, you know, I had the the conversation with my husband about what do we do and I really came to the conclusion that like, listen, in like six, seven months, a year, if this isn't working, like I can always go back into sales. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a skill that I have and it's a job that is going to be around. It might not be in fashion, but sales is something that I could always go back into. Um and so that was, I think, comforting to know that I had something at least that I could go back to doing yes. that I was good at. Totally. But so, let's go back to that day. Oh, so that day. Right. It was such an uncomfortable position with my boss because I, I don't know. It was just like – it was very weird. I had – I never really had a conversation. I'd always left jobs to go somewhere else. So it was weird to be like, I'm going to – do my own thing. Did your boss know about it? He had an idea. You know, it was he knew about it on the side and stuff like that. Um, you know, it was never it never cut into my work, so mm-hmm. it was never a thing. And he was like, "Really?" I was like, "Yeah." Don't you wish you knew that day that you were going to be in the Inc. Five Thousand? Oh yeah, yeah, I <laughs> like, do. I would made it a lot easier. And unfortunately, you don't like, get to have that crystal. He ball, was like, right? "Okay, like, is it?" do you do you like want more money I was like no this is something I have to I have to try and know if it's gonna be worth it it was just something I had to do so he was amazing about it and you know he was like all right well you know if you know in several months you decide to come back he was like let me know um how'd you feel when you left the room just weird like I like you know that feeling where you think you have something to do but you don't Right, like, that was that like, feeling. I don't have it's a job like, it was anymore. kind of like the last day of school when you finish finals <laughs> and you're like, "So I I don't have to go back to the library. I don't have anything else to prepare for. I'm just done." Did you like go back to your desk and pack up your little things? Yeah, and, and I like you know it was I had um I stayed for another like week or two just to kind of clean things up, help them transition, make sure every you know all my orders were in place and all of that stuff and all my accounts were taken care of. Um, 
and I transitioned all of them. But it was it was weird. Well, it was brave, right? Because a lot of people think I about guess. doing that, but they don't actually do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know if I, I – you know, it's funny that you say that because I didn't think of it as brave at the time at all. You just felt like, I, I have to was, do this? Or what I, was yeah, it was more so, I, I have to do it. Now, what strength did you draw on from role models, people in your family? Like, who did you channel, if you did, to just take that leap? Oh, gosh. I – I don't even know. I don't I have so little background and experience with anyone who owns their own business. I really didn't, you know, know any different. And I think having a boss and you know, my boss um at the time had run his own showroom. So he was also a small business owner. So I think having somebody like that, knowing that like you get it. You know, you're talking to someone who you're not just talking to a supervisor or a manager. You're talking to someone who also took a risk and created their own thing as well. So I think that was really why I was able to have a nice conversation as opposed to this. Well, like, what can I do to make you say like what's wrong? What happened? It was more so of a like, OK, right. He's he's been there himself right. where he's like, I just have exactly. to do this. And when you when you were thinking about, do I do it? Do I not do it? Do I do it? Do I not do it? Um, do you have like a process or, I don't know, a mindset hack or like how do you get yourself to do scary, hard things? I always sit with it for at least a day. I don't like to wait too long because I think you can talk yourself out of anything if you wait too long. So I always give myself a timeline of like 24, 36 hours and I really try to sit with whatever I'm feeling. If it's uncomfortable, if I don't like it or I'm just confused, I try to work through all those feelings and you know you know in your gut, I think, you know, most people will say like yeah, like I I know I know what I want to do and I know what the path is, but that doesn't make it less scary. But you kind of have to reconcile that little bit of fear and get that confidence to make that choice and just stick with it and go. And you obviously were able to get through that. So that's awesome. Was there something that happened like that week or something in the business where you're like, okay, now it's time. Like we've made a certain amount of money or there's been a certain validation. It was it was the week that we opened the Flatiron Studio. Oh, where you went to. Awesome. Yeah, so it was that week, and it was so crazy. I mean, you know, Flatiron is such an incredible location. There's, you know, so many offices. People live around here, and it's such a fitness hub. It's oh, become yeah, it's really the center of where fitness is. And it was that first week. It was so crazy, and it was the first studio that we had daytime classes, actually, because uh, Soho and Brooklyn at the time only had morning and evening. There was no, you know, kind of middle of the day, noon or 3.30, 4.30. We were – or even 5.45. We just were 7 a.m., 8.15 a.m., 7 p.m., 8.15 p.m. because that's what worked with my full-time schedule. And this we started to realize, like, we need a 4.30. We need a 5.45 just doing the research and – Looking at, you know, the rent and knowing how many classes we need to run a day in order to make that location worth it. So you did look at the data. You yes. did kind of crunch the yeah. numbers and go, okay, crunch the, yeah, I can pay myself numbers. something. <laughs> Maybe I can leave my job. I didn't pay myself anything. No. I didn't take anything from the business until 2016. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't pay yourself when you first left your full-time job to work at Y7. What was the feeling behind that? Were you like, well, I just want to put every dollar into the business or what was going on? We were able to continue running the business with the money that we were generating from the classes, from that kind of revenue. And it's one of the reasons that my husband kept his job for another six months um, before we were able to be like, okay, we can do this. We can still you know, pay our personal rent, buy groceries, do all the stuff, and then take care of the business as well. Well, it's all worked out pretty well so Thank far. You. I'm really excited about your growth and the Inc. 5000. And how many locations do you have now? Uh, we have 13. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. So L.A., right? Is an Two outpost. in L.A., uh, 10 in New York. And we have a studio on the Nike campus in Beaverton, Oregon, outside of Portland. Very cool. Yeah. You just did that, too. But um bum Yeah. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> We love it. We love um, a pun. <laughs> Can't make the just do it jokes. Um, so with all these locations, now you're really becoming, you know, what 
bigger, more scalable business. Is that something you always imagined or is has it evolved along the way? It's definitely evolved along the way. I don't think I really foresaw, you know, really what the long-term plan was going to be, mainly because I've been so day-to-day and everything that there was no like, okay, in five years, this is what's going to happen. Here's all our numbers. Here are the projections. I don't really do math. So um, in in late 2016, we did take on uh, private equity. um, And that was really the point where it was like, okay, what is the trajectory for the business? What are our goals? Who do we need to hire to make that happen? You know, really looking at those numbers and that hard data of, you know, our supplies, our costs, where our rent needs to be, all of that stuff, our build out. So that decision to, you know, partner with a private equity firm was really the nudge that I needed to get a little bit more buttoned up in terms of, you know, business plans and financial planning. And of course, there's all the logistics that go into taking on private equity. But I'd love oh, to hear yeah. about the mindset piece, too, because it also sure. means having you know a different mindset around it. Yeah. And we're going to cover that in the next part. This has been so fascinating. Up next, why Sarah had confidence building a business without any formal business education and how she got her go big mindset. You know, success in business is really 80% mindset and 20% skill set and network. If you want help with the whole package and you're a woman business owner looking to scale up faster than you already are, then as a listener of this podcast, I have a way I can help. I'm going to give you a complimentary Accelerate session. It's a 45-minute coaching call on me. That means free. Go to scalewithjulia.com scalewithjulia.com and sign up. And then there's this. If you mention this podcast when you sign up for your Accelerate session, we'll also send you our exclusive ebook, Power Networking for Female Founders, also free. So that's two ways you can start scaling faster right now. Make sure you mention the Million Dollar Mind podcast. Again, go to scalewithjulia.com. the state of mind that you were in when you started the studio. So you took this leap. You left your job after two years, but even so, a lot of people never leave the job, right? So you left your job. You started your first few locations. And now you're at a whole other phase of growth where you've taken on private equity. You're expanding across the U.S. How have you had to change your thinking about yourself? I have had to really learn to trust myself more. You know, there is there are definitely several thousand more people who are way more experienced than I am at, you know, business stuff. Um, I have never managed a team at this level. I have never looked at PNLs this deeply. I have never executed LOIs. I have never done commercial real estate. I don't have that background. So it was, you know, all of that stuff I had to learn as I was experiencing it. And I had to trust that what I was learning and what I was retaining and the choices I was making were the right ones because I'm so close to the business and the brand that those decisions I'm making are right for what we want to do. We're not going to be the same as, say, you know, a clothing store. We're not going to be the same as, you know, a restaurant. It's a different client. It's a different market. Um, So what do you tell yourself in those moments when you're tackling something that you've like never done before and some voice in your brain is going like, you're not even trained for this? (laughs) Like, what do you answer to that? uh, My answer to that now is you've never done any of this before and it's going great. So, you know, it's just to kind of keep going and to know that there's going to be mistakes. Um, You know, not every single thing is going to be a home run, but it's knowing that you know, not everything is make or break. None of the choices are going to make or break the business. It's, you know, doing the due diligence and the homework and making sure that as you're making those decisions Mm -hmm. that you're unsure about, that you're doing the research behind it, you're looking at the data. So you are making the best informed decision as possible. And sometimes I imagine delegating it to someone else if it's not. Oh, yeah. 
complete area of expertise. Absolutely. Because you're the brand, you know, maestro. You totally get yeah. the yoga side. And that has tremendous value. Yeah, and that was really – it was one of the main reasons we um, decided to take on private equity funding is because I can't do payroll. And I don't know what's going on. It's not the best use of you, right? of my time. Um, I shouldn't be doing the front desk schedules. I shouldn't – you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I am better – served at doing. So it was really, you know, taking on that private equity money really enabled us to hire a team of people who were experts in their areas. Um, What was the investment? So the investment we took on a $5 million investment. Mm -hmm. um, And we, that was, so that was late 2016. um, And we hired, our first hire was HR. Um, Yes, we have several different types of employees. So it was really important for me that at that point, we had had um, six locations, had signed a lease for number seven and eight. Um, so we have front desk, uh, studio managers, corporate, cleaning staff. Some yoga teachers. And teachers. <laughs> so there's a lot of, you know, they're all paid, you know, different rates. Sure. Um, Are there we, unions or things like that to deal with? Or no, no, not not for us. But, you know, the studio managers are on salary. Mm-hmm. So there's that bucket. Uh, the teachers, the most of the teachers and front desk are all part-time employees, as with um, our cleaning staff as well, and they're all at different um, pay structures Got as well. It. So you now have more support in overseeing right, all exactly, this. and making sure that we're you know above bar in terms of you know what we're able to provide. Um, we're one of the only uh, boutique fitness studios that does do like accrued sick time and vacation for part-time employees. And it sounds like that's important to you. It's very important to me because you know it's you know if you've been working and you've been a great employee for two years and you get sick, you should be able to have paid sick. Yeah, of course. You know, it's important to me. Well, and also we're all there to enhance our wellness, right? Exactly. If the people who work there don't benefit from it's a huge yeah. It's a huge part of the business is being able to make sure that all of our employees feel supported and taken care of and no matter what level they are, if they're not full time, part time, salaried, whatever it is. And Sarah, as you were growing the business and and jumping through these different hoops of, you know, expanding locations, taking on private equity, who helped you, if anybody, with kind of up-leveling your mindset around it? Like, did you ever have a coach, a mentor, someone you turned to? I do have a coach. Um, I work with a lovely woman named Yael, and it's been really, really incredible. It's been great for me to have someone to be able to listen to my management style, what I see and what I receive during certain tough situations, and how I can change my mindset to really be a better leader. What's one thing she helped you with? Like, can you give us a concrete story? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You don't have to name names. No, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I it really had to do with me switching a mindset around how I was taking criticism and receiving feedback. You know, if someone was upset with an email I sent or something I said and I would get so defensible like why aren't you doing your job and that's not like the appropriate way to respond but I was responding so emotionally because this business is everything to me that I you know and I think too it took me a minute to realize that someone can care so much about their job but they're never gonna care about it like I care about it right it's your and that is okay it is, does not mean they don't want to be here, that they're not doing the best job they can do. It is so far from that, but I have a different relationship with my business. So, you know, for me to be able to take a step back and really hear tough feedback from me was really incredible because it enabled me to, A, have a little bit of distance between the emotional reaction and make a better choice for the business in how I was handling it and being better moving forward as well. Those sound like really big shifts. Huge shifts. And it didn't take me overnight, believe me, this has been, <laughs> this has been well, I years of work at this point. I worked a ton of coaches, so I, I, I'm with you. Every huge leap forward I made, not everyone, but a lot of them came thanks to working with coaches yeah. and helped me see things I couldn't see. What, so what, were there mindset shifts in going from like one or two locations to, you know, now – how many locations again? 13? Yes. It's amazing. Yes. What about those mindset shifts? Um, letting go of mm-hmm. control. 
of a lot of things and realizing that I don't need to know every little thing that's happening. I have to trust. I hired my team for a reason. I hired my leadership team for a reason. And I need to trust them to do their jobs and to let them handle the issues or the choices that they're making with their staff appropriately. And knowing that I'm communicating to them that if they need me, I'm always here. I'm always here to step in. I am always there to provide guidance, but I really do place a lot of trust and autonomy in their ability to make decisions. So you're like enabling them to do their best work. Yes. Whether, whether, do you have like a leadership philosophy or like a way that you'd like to lead or? Um, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a philosophy, but I like to, you know, if we're making a choice about a studio and a location, I, you know, I want them, whatever path they want to take to get to the goal is fine. I will never, I can give suggestions on how I would do it, but I may not be right. I may not have the best way to do something. So it's knowing that not everything has to follow the path that I took, that everyone works differently. And so I like to lead in that way of, listen, here's what we want to do. Here's the goal. Here's what we want. You tell me how you want to get there. And if I see a major red flag, of course, I'll be like, listen, we can't go. Or if something's like way out of budget, I'm like, can't do it that way. We have to rethink this. But I think it's important to give people the ability to make those decisions um, because it does give more ownership over the job. And, you know, it comes with a lot of responsibility. You feel responsible for those choices that you're making. Yeah. But then they Um, have room to be creative, too. Exactly. Like, let's get here, but I'm not going to tell you how. Absolutely. And, you know, and. If there are problems or issues, the way that I do that is I like to know why mm-hmm. and what we can do to make sure it never happens again. Right. It, because mistakes happen. I don't think it's, you know, whether it's, you know, it was someone's fault. Great. That person was responsible for the problem. But like, how are we going to fix it? Right. Not dwell on like, oh, yeah, you like, did, I don't, you, you who messed did up. it? Like, right. you know, this is so-and-so, it's so-and-so's fault. Like, okay, fine. They're the one who, you know, made that choice. It wasn't the right one. But how can we make sure that we're not doing it again? And how can we prevent it? Yeah. And that is like what I want. I'm very solution driven. I don't want to talk about the problem. I want to talk about how we're going to fix it. Speaking of problems, somebody could look at you and say, wow, your journey has been problem free, right? You started this yoga studio. It's taken off. It's the hot new thing. Inc. 5000, 13 locations. Can you tell us about a time when you were like, this is not going to work. I am terrified. Everything is really scary right now. Was there a time like that ever? Yeah, of course. I think it was, I would say it was probably the beginning of 2016. We decided uh, very quickly to open in LA. And about, you know, three months in, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, it's not as crowded as New York. It's not doing as well. Like, I don't, was this a mistake? And it was really because I wasn't thinking about, you know, the density, the traffic, the ability to have parking, all of these things that factor in to, you know, how rapidly a studio is going to grow. Things in New York, we there are so many people here. You could plop a mediocre sandwich shop on, you know, in the middle of uh, Times Square and it's going to do great. Right. Lines out. R- right. Lines it's going to do great because there are tourists there. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to eat. So what happened? That is it. So, you know, it took a lot of, you know, understanding how to build a different kind of community. But what in was Los the day Angeles. it felt really awful? I'm just curious because like I had a moment that I wrote about in Million Dollar Women when I felt like everything was falling apart. I was literally lying on the couch in my conference room crying <laughs> and supposed to go to a cocktail party and like couldn't get off the couch. Yeah. It's like, did you ever have a moment where you were just like the equivalent of that? Well, I have many meltdowns where I feel overwhelmed. But, you know, the one specifically around L.A., I remember it was – We have, you know, Hip Hop Wednesdays and Sundays, and they're always packed. We, you know, it's a fun little thing we do to have, like, a surprise theme for our clients. And I remember being a 7 p.m. on a Wednesday in West Hollywood, and two people showed up. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, this is not – I don't know if this is going to work because that never happened in New York, ever. And so I was like, is it – I don't know what it is. So – All it took was really – and that was a hard moment for me. It was looking at like, okay, let's look at 
who's coming, what the habits are, how we can reach out to our best clients, how we can get people in. Our, let's talk to our best clients. Let's give them, you know, a pass where they can bring a friend for free. So, you know, they're introducing other people to that. How are we letting other businesses nearby know that we're there? And it started becoming this really great thing where we now have a field marketing program where we partner with different businesses. Um, but wait, we we flipped over to the positive really fast here. Are you able to switch that switch that quickly? Like yes. you you went from like yeah. there are only two people here. This location is not going to fly to like let me solve it. Yeah. Wow. How do you do that? Uh. So you bypass the like yeah. lying on the floor crying. I oh suck. no, that happens. <laughs> but it's really like I let myself feel it, uh-huh. and then I have to move on because me dwelling on it's not gonna do anything except for make me sad. Right. Well, <laughs> and if, and if you not... could teach that, how would you teach it? I'd just be curious because there are a lot of people who like when things go wrong. Right. A lot of the reason yeah. businesses don't succeed is that things go wrong and people feel like it's not gonna get better. I can't fix it. They get really upset. Yeah. I. I think you just have to move on. It's, you know, it's something that is one of my personal mantras that um, was told to me by one of our instructors and who is now a very good friend of mine, that it's like this now. Oh, and That's a mantra. Yep. I like that. It's it like is, this now. It's not like it was five minutes ago. And it is going to be different five minutes from now. And you can only move forward with the information you have. And that is it. I like that. So when things go really wrong for you, sometimes you'll just say, well, it's like this now. Yep. I can't backtrack. I can't I can't go back in time. I cannot change what happened. I can only move forward in a way where I'm using the information that I have from the past situation to do it differently. I love that. And that must kind of snap you out of it, too, because sometimes we can get in that kind of going down the rabbit hole of despair. Yeah, like, listen, I have meltdowns, but I feel them Uh and then I move on. Well, that's a superpower. (laughs) Thank you. It is. And if you could bottle it up, you you can tell that too. I think it takes a lot of energy to be upset. It does. It's true. It takes a lot of energy. And I think I I think you waste a lot of time replaying situations in your head that have already happened and you have no control over. So what's the point? Did you learn that from someone or you think you just made it up on your own? Did you see anybody dealing with hardship? Or challenges that way? Um, I think it really came from listening to others complain about things that they don't have control about mm. and being like, I I can't help I, I don't know what to say to you because you literally can't go back. You know, it's one thing to complain like, Oh, I had a really gross sandwich, whatever, like, oh I you know, that's like that's just like kind of, you know mean meaningless like right. i just need to get this out like whatever Move it doesn't yeah. really matter but when you're complaining about a certain situation that has already happened you know say you had like a really horrible miscommunication with a boss a friend or whatever it is like you can't go back and change it all you can do is be like hey i feel really weird about what happened and i want to i want to move on from that so like how do we do that because otherwise you're just going to sit there replaying something that happened like you know a month ago and it's not going to get you to that next place. You're no, just it's not going to get you to the next place. And you're just going to be a little bit miserable every time you see that person or like you're going to get triggered by that situation. And no one wants to be in that place. Now, it's do you productive. train your staff in any of this? Are you able yes. to pass yeah. this on? Yes. How do you do that? Um, by having a conversation just like this when looking at a situation and really empowering everyone to be super solution oriented. Like what do you think is a, is a strong mindset? Like what are the ingredients to that? I think it is the ability to take responsibility for your part if you were a part of it. And I think it's the ability to openly communicate. I think that is one of the biggest, biggest things that I've learned through, you know, my work with my coach and things like that is that it's all about communication. If like someone says something and you like have a weird feeling, just be like, hey, I I heard this. Is that what you really meant? And sometimes it's something as simple as that where someone, you know, was just maybe thinking about something else. So they didn't make eye contact with you and they were a little bit short, but it had nothing to do with you. Right. We can make up all right. these stories it's just and like meanings. All this storytelling. And I think that having the mindset of communication mm-hmm. and asking questions really can empower you to be confident and know that you can kind of solve whatever it is that's going on. 
well, it sounds like you've been like growing like leaps and bounds as a leader with like every year, maybe even every month. Is there anything you wish you'd learned earlier? Is there anything you know now that helps you with the mindset of running a big business that's expanding quickly and a lot of new responsibilities and things you've never done before yeah. that you're tackling? I think I wish I would have learned that confrontation isn't scary. You know, like I was I always kind of erred on the side of like avoiding uncomfortable con- conversations and confronting people if I was upset or if I felt that they were upset and things were going their well, that's way. That's kind of a Midwest stereotype, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just a nice Because you're nice from Michigan. I'm, I'm a nice Midwest girl. I was like, okay, everything's fine. Wait, um, let's just not talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll just brush that under the rug. Um, I wish I would have learned that earlier because I think a lot of, you know, perceived feelings or notions or stories I was telling myself weren't really the case. And I would find that out months later and be like, oh, this could have been over. <laughs> and we could have moved on from this. So I think it's carrying on those assumptions when you kind of try to avoid conflict that can be really damaging, you know, emotionally. And it takes up a lot of emotional space and mental space, too. And it's a um, skill to be able to have those hard conversations. Yeah. And right? it, listen, the first like dozen times I had to like sit in a room with someone and be like, hey, um, so you did this and it wasn't good. They were like, I didn't like the way you spoke to me. What, you know, the email you wrote was super inappropriate. Um, you know, how you have been carrying yourself and reacting to people has been really inappropriate and has been upsetting a lot of people. Like we need to have a conversation about it. Wow. You did that really well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I, that's, <laughs> that's not, I, before that was like, not your MO well, you before. know, sometimes you can get, um, you know, I don't know if you're upset and is everything okay? Like those are kind of, you're beating around the bush of the real issue. So I think being direct and knowing that, you know, communication is, it's truly everything. Awesome. I love that. Coming up, why a positive mindset, changing her communication style, and having the humility to learn a new set of skills make all the difference. You can contact Julia at juliapimsler.com. That's Julia, P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R.com. Thank you for listening. So now that you've turned this corner where you are much more comfortable with confrontation and having these tough conversations, what do you do when people on your team or even in your personal life aren't there with you? It's, you know, everyone is on their own journey to that. And I think, you know, a lot of situations happen because of a miscommunication. So it's empowering people to really talk about it. And I listen, I'm happy to sit and listen to, you know, one of my team members or someone just like complain and unload about a situation. But that's it. That has to be it. I mean, we what? can talk about it once. Mm-hmm. Oh, it shouldn't be like every time yeah, you like, see them. Uh, we don't need again. to talk about the same thing over and over again. Like it's just redundant and no one's getting anywhere. And so I try and be really clear. I'm like, okay, what we talked about this, right? We made a plan to move forward with it. And that's really resonated with the rest of my team and through the coaching that we do, we actually have two group leadership sessions a year um, where our coach comes in and we have sort of a group session. Um, she interviews everyone individually for about a half an hour talking about team dynamics and things like that. So during these sessions, once every six months, we're able to address if there's tension between any departments, what's working, what's not working, what we can do better. And, you know, the first one was a little uncomfortable. We had the first one, I think, probably like two and a half years ago and it was weird it was like they were cry oh there were a lot of tears (laughs) um it was a lot of like feeling misunderstood or i don't feel like anyone knows what i really do and doesn't appreciate that like i'm dealing with all these other things and i don't get that recognition so i'm so yeah and i'm so proud of my team because my team functions now in a way where you know if we're having a meeting or someone is feeling you know like they're kind of being stepped on or something like that or just brushed aside it's like hey like I feel like you're not recognizing like what I'm doing or my part in this and how I can help or how I can be of service or that there are, you know, with my operations team and with we do these, we'll do marketing promotions, um, you know, a couple of times a year. And while those are really fun, that has to all of that information has to trickle down to my front desk staff, because if someone comes in, they're like, hey, I got this complimentary card. And they're like, what What are you talking about? (laughs) You know, they have to know how to denote that in the system, how to do all these operational processes, things. So it's really 
a cross-functional communication thing and knowing that if we see a gap and something does happen, it's addressing it right away. So it's a and, mix of the details and also the right mm-hmm. communication, mindset, right. and team it, building. And it definitely takes a minute. Everyone, you know, gets there, I think, in their own time. And I feel very lucky that, you know, my team has all been so excited and on board about the coaching work that we do. And well, we you have, set a great example, too, by asking for help. Yeah. I, it's some, I had never managed a team before. I don't know what's going on. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. How do I – and I always want to be better. I want to make sure they feel supported personally, you know, if they have anything, you know, going on in their personal lives that they know that they can be like, hey – I'm going through this like I need to take a day. Great. All I need is that little bit of communication. So, you know, if that person is not answering emails for 24 hours, I'm like, what are you doing? I don't get frustrated because I, you know, I used to go to a place where like, oh, they're just not doing their work. They don't care. That might not be the case. So it's important to know that for my team that they can come to me with those things. They don't need to tell me details, but to tell me they have something going on. They need to take a day. I need, you know, I'm going to work from like home in the morning. Thank you. Sound like you'd be great to work for. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> but it's that kind of compassion understanding that leads to, again, more open communication and trust that we all want the same thing. The company goal is the same for everybody. We want to grow this into, you know, we want to be the household name for yoga. When people think of yoga, I want them to think of Y7. Um, and that's such a big, awesome, ambitious goal. And I'm sure you'll get there. Very lofty. And, um, and as it should be. So what would you say to a woman who has an idea for a business? You know, maybe it's not in yoga. Maybe she wants to have, you know, a jewelry company yeah. or maybe she's a trainer. A lot of women stop at like, well, I'll just have my little local shop. What do you what would you say to someone who was maybe thinking about going bigger with it but they're nervous to? I I think the nervousness is a normal reaction to have and you have to it's healthy almost because you're going to make like lean into that nervousness because it'll help you make better decisions. You're not going to be like, "Oh, it's fine. I'll just I'll I'll do that." Right? You're going to be like, "Okay. Let me look at the situation as a whole. Like what's the worst that could really happen?" Is that a question right? you ask yourself sometimes? All the time. Yeah. Am I going to be worse off? No, I'll just probably be in the same place as I am now if I don't try. So, you know, I think that's – I just think you have to go for it. There's so many things where – listen, like this – Y7 was never supposed to even be a business and make money. It was just something that I was doing on the side for fun and for, you know, personal passion reason and – you have to start to realize where like when people are really resonating with it. And I would say whatever business you're in, listen to your clients, listen to the feedback. Did you survey your clients like crazy Mm -hmm. at the beginning? And I was, you know, I was the one working the front desk all the time. So I heard everything. Um, Didn't have to send out a survey monkey. You could just talk to them. Yeah, Yeah. I was like, just talk to them. Talk to them like people like, why do you come here? Why do you like it here? Like what – why are you choosing us over a different yoga studio perhaps? Like why why do you like it? You know, and then it starts a conversation and your customers and your clients, those advocates are your biggest supporters. They are going to be the ones who are going to bring you the most people and talk about your business in the best way possible. You know, so I think that's so that built your confidence yeah. realizing that your customers love you, that and there's also more potential. That it's not going to be for everybody too, right? Although 61 we, million people apparently go to the gym. I yes, read in one of the articles yes. about why I said Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so you got a big market there. It's a big market, but also, you know, there are people who are like, I don't like it in the dark. I'm like, okay. Right, you're, but you're not being people. like, oh, so that means, you know, for one class, I should maybe turn the lights on. Like, you don't need to change your brand identity and your experience for that one person. Realize that there are going to be way more people who – love what you do. And those people who love what you do are going to respect you and continue coming to you because you're consistent, because they can rely on it, because they trust and understand what the brand is rather than like, oh, that's weird. Why did why did they all of a sudden turn on the lights for right. a class? Like, that's so awkward. That's not, you know, why seven? So yeah, it sounds like it's you've really thought having, a lot about having a right. unique experience. And also knowing that there, whatever you do, whatever business you're in, there's going to be competition. So you have to really, and but you have to stay focused on what you want and what your what you feel passionate about in terms of the experience you're bringing to the table. Because I think we know that people who copy others or, you know, are constantly drawing from, you know, other brands or trying to please everybody, they're never going to be 
successful because there's too much confusion around what they stand for. So it's important to have, you know, the things that you stand for, your mission, your core values, you know, know exactly what you want to provide because then your clients can reiterate that. They're never going to be like, well, sometimes it's great, but, you know, I only go to this one person. They know that like when I go to Y7, it's going to be dark, it's going to be candlelit, it's going to be really, really hot. I'm going to sweat. I'm going to flow three times and I'm going to do it on my own three times. First slow, yep. then fast, then that's on your own. Exactly. See, I already got it after there one class. Go. And like that's <laughs> the coolest thing to me is that people are able to now, without me like explaining it or talking about it, clients are going to be like, I love it because I love that there's no mirrors because I don't feel like anyone's looking at me. I love that it's dark because I feel like I can do my own thing. I'm like, that's that's it. So you're saying don't be afraid to pick something and make it your own and then not deviate from it. Even exactly. if other people say, wait, no, it's not right. I don't like exactly. it. And, you know, sometimes you will have to pivot if, you know – for us, it's, you know, the first the first studio we built after we took on private equity money, we probably spent a little too much on the build out. And had a lot of cash know, in the bank. Yeah, we were happen. like, yes, let's get, you know, these really nice toilets and like. They weren't like we gold had, or anything, Sarah. No. Okay. No. But, you know, <laughs> they were cushy like. seats maybe. Yeah, it was like, and now I realize that like, well, we have such heavy, you know, usage that like really the industrial strength ones that aren't as pretty work better because. We have so many clients in now that are flushing oh, right. so we much, like, get those you know, like, we got to replace them. Well, this wait, isn't... I do have to ask, though, about yeah. the taking in money because so few women raise capital and mm-hmm. successfully raise capital. Yeah. What what was your ability to do that? Do you think? Because you don't have a finance background. How do you think right. you got through that? And did you do it with your husband or were you I the did. one pitching? Yeah, I did do it with my husband. Um, we are very, very fortunate because it was actually they're married now. But it, one of my instructors, it was her boyfriend at the time who worked at the private equity firm. Oh, I love that. And so it happened organically. Yeah, he had been going to class and he was like, I love it. Like, you know, he knew we were opening, you know, more studios because she was, you know, being put on the schedule more and she, you know, wrote so you didn't have to go. Day. You didn't have to go knocking door no, to door. No. no. Oh, that's great. And yeah, so she wrote us an email one day and was like, hey, like, I don't know if you guys are thinking about, you know, raising money or taking on capital, but my boyfriend works at a private equity firm. And, you know, if you'd be okay with it, like, I'd love, you know, he loves the studio and I would love to introduce him to you. We said yes. And the rest is history. So one pitch and one yes. One pitch, wow. One yes. I think you're the yeah. only person I've ever met. <laughs> and, one pitch and one yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, it was great. They're, they've been an incredible partner. Um, Any so mindset shifting as... you had to do around taking capital and having outside yes. people involved? Will you tell me a little I mean, bit about that? Yeah. I was just like making decisions. I was like, let's open here. <laughs> No, like no real looking at the data, no looking at the geos and demos. Before you took the capital, exactly. You it was like <laughs> Union Square seems good. Sure, let's. There's do There's a it. lot of people there. That seems great. And what about um, now? Now it's you know really looking at the geos and demos, being really thoughtful about where we're opening, and also you know when we're opening in certain markets, that has to do with you know do we put in showers? Does it need to be ground floor? What does our schedule look like here? What's the daytime population? Is this more of a weekend and after work studio or is it going to be somewhere people are coming on their way to work and during the day so it had there's so much more that goes into it now and I had to learn to really like you know understand how to compile data and know that like some locations they said no they were like this isn't doesn't make sense you're going to cannibalize from this student I was like what and then I was like oh yes I understand so it took a minute for my mindset to shift like that, where knowing that, yes, I maybe wasn't opening as quickly as I was before, and I wasn't making – it wasn't just me making the decision. So it was letting go a little bit of that. And what about like as a CEO? I mean, I know that some women don't even like to use the term CEO because they can't relate to it. And I know for me yeah. going from having like a you know $500,000 company to a multi-million dollar company, it was a big mindset shift. What about you? It's – you know <laughs> – because I worked in fashion, I had never even worked at a company with any of those titles. So it was all new. It was all new. I'm like, a C, a C what? I'm like, they, what does that stand for? What, what are my three um, letters? I was like, oh, okay. Are you, you know, and your husband both CEOs? No. So he actually left the company about a year ago. Um, you didn't fire him, I hope. No, 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 no. <laughs> he decided he's a startup guy. He's uh-huh. a startup and a tech guy. So he is now in his own venture. He's raising VC money right now for his new awesome. um, thing that he's doing. And he's so happy. It just, I wish you know, him the one pitch, one yes. But I, I have know. a feeling you might not get that again. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but 
Yeah, so we So you're were, CEO. I am. And is there any piece of that where you had to like do some mindset shifting? Like if you had 20 years ago said to your, someone had walked up to you on the street in Michigan and said, you're going to be CEO of a rapidly expanding <laughs> company that raised venture capital and um, is in the Fortune 5000. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I still, I guess I try not to take myself too seriously. I kind of think it's funny when I like have to write my title down. I'm like, mm, I'm a CEO now. But, you know, it's I don't really refer to myself like that. I don't really refer to any even like, you know, I always talk about my team as, you know, they work with me and not for me because that's really what I believe because I'm I'm not an expert at everything and I need them to be experts in their areas of the business. So I don't I don't really resonate with the title. It is reflective of what I do, but it's not something that I kind of vocally will I won't use that to describe me right sounds like you're more like we're a team making this happen yeah I don't really feel beholden to the title at all but Um, was there any mindset shift around going to this bigger level it I think at first it felt like a lot more responsibility but at the end of the day it's still you know my business I'm still doing the same things maybe I'm looking at something a little bit more in depth and I'm thinking more big picture now as opposed to really being in the weeds of like there's you know there's a plumbing issue at the Soho studio I gotta go you know I gotta call the plumber that's not something I have to do anymore um but you know so that was a shift about really thinking big picture and scaling and taking care of you know my team and making sure that they are also on the growth path that they want for their careers and um you know, more sort of a role of you know, managing people really is what it's become. And if you had to sort of describe what your kind of go big mindset is, what would you say are some of the things that you lean on or use? Like, do you read books? Do you go to seminars? Is there anything that informs you to keep dreaming bigger and thinking bigger? I love a good Harvard Business Review. Oh, yeah. Some really good ones. There. I love those books. Um, making, you know, having difficult conversations. Um, being mentally tough is one that I just bought that I haven't um, gotten into yet. But those kind of really help me get out of my own head and realize that, like, I'm not dealing with this alone and that there are tools and there's people to lean on. And again, I think it's been a lot. Um, I owe a lot to my coach, too about being able to have those conversations and kind of like rise above and know that again, like nobody's path is the same. So knowing that like I might make this decision and it's going to look different from what someone else may do. So that's been a really big part. Have you read or seen anything recently that shifted your thinking that you'd want to share? It could be a book on your nightstand. Uh, The Brene Brown Netflix special. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. It, I love her. I've read so many of her books, but her Dare to Dream one is really like, it's, she's wonderful. Yeah, I had Daring Greatly by my bed yes. on the nightstand daring for a very greatly. long yes, time. That's yes. it. I was like, it's Daring something. Yes. Um, she got a new one, Dare to Lead, so it's easy yeah, to get yes, confused. Yeah. yeah, with Daring Greatly and Dare to Lead. Yes. So what did you take out of the Netflix special? It just, I think it has a lot to do, it's a positivity mindset. Mm-hmm. Well, business is 80% mindset, 20% skill set and network. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's always like, you know, hearing her speak and... What resonated with you that she said? Just believing in yourself and being, having that confidence and knowing that like, not everyone is going to say yes to you, right? And that's okay. Not everyone is going to say yes to you. And it's probably because it's not meant to be. And you don't need to take that personally. When you're a good living example that sometimes you only need one yes. Yep. <laughs> You've got one. one big yes that, that made a very yeah. big difference. Absolutely. So Sarah, how can people find out more about Y7 and where they can go to a class? So everything is on our website. It is y7-studio.com. Um, our Instagram is always got some fun new things, announcements, partnerships, new retail drops, what the hip hop theme will be this week. Sweet. Um, I love the hip hop yoga. Yeah. So fun. It's fun. It makes it not so serious. And, you know, so that um, you can follow us there at y7studio. 
Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Sarah, thank you so much for sharing about your journey with us. Yeah, thank you for so having me. It's been so cool and fascinating, and I can't wait to get back to the Y7 Yoga Studio can't and the Flatiron and sweat it out again. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank Wish you. you lots of continued success, which I know is coming your way. Thank you so much. It's obvious that Sarah has had a clear vision from day one, but going from doer to leader isn't easy. By working with a coach, growing her communication style, and having the humility to learn a new set of skills, she was able to make that transition. Again, big, big thanks to you, Sarah, for allowing us to benefit from so much of what you learned along the way. And thank you for being with us in this conversation. Join us again next time for Million Dollar Mind. Until then, I challenge you to take one idea you heard from Sarah today and apply it to your own life or business. I'm Julia Pimsler. Million Dollar Mind is a production of Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019, Julia Pimsler. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.